With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. When the whole world seems turned upside down, we sort through it together. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome back to the second hour of Weekends with Jason Olborn here on TNT Radio, the Sunday edition. My guest this hour is going to turn our lives on its head for the better. His name is Dr. John McSwinney. I've known John for almost 30 years, and I was not necessarily surprised when I realized that he was no longer a lawyer, but working for the good of all of us and creating time to transform. He's a prolific author. He's got his head in the political spectrum, but that doesn't satisfy John. He is all about creating a better life for all of us. And his new book is called Heart Unbound. It's not just a book about how we can change our lives, but it's also a program that you can do like all of us for just, well, for 28 days. It'll be a process to start the rest of your life. It is time now to bring John on. Dr. John McSwinney, welcome to Weekends. Jason, happy Sunday to you. Well, thank you, John, and same to you. You're looking fabulous there with what I would definitely say is the best shirt of anyone I've ever interviewed. Well done. (laughs) Massive compliment. Thanks, Jason. Good to see you, John. It's been a long, long time since uh, both of us were, were studying. Would you believe we're both studying law in the in the mid nineties in the state of Tasmania, the beautiful um, University of Tasmania? No. And uh, and who would have thought that thirty years later, neither of us would be in the legal game and doing exactly what we love to do? It's uh, it's it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? That uh, that life can just send you. Um, all sorts of directions. And even when you have the best laid plans, that's not how it's going to be. Um, John, tell me a little bit more because you were a prolific student as much as you are a writer. Can you tell us a bit about your academic background? Oh, look, Jason, I've spent um, way too many years at uh, university, um, degrees in uh, social science, uh, law, masters, um, PhD. Um, and I've loved it. Uh, absolutely love being at university. I love the lifestyle. I got to surf um, pretty much every day um, and even managed to turn up to a couple of uh, lectures, which was great. Um, at the end of it, they handed me over certificates like this, yes, uh, which I was very, very grateful for. Uh, but look, I loved it. Um, lifelong learner. Uh, there's academic learning and then there's life learning. Um, and when you combine the two, um, it really helps transform not just yourself, but the impact that you can have on others as well. And that's certainly been my journey. Do you think, therefore, that you were always going to be someone who was going to be a teacher or a facilitator uh, through this great academic career that you had? Absolutely not. <laughs> Absolutely not. Um, growing up, um, I wanted to be prime minister. Mm-hmm. Um, that was my goal. That was my aspiration. Uh, 17, I went to my first Labor Party branch meeting just up the road here, actually. Um, and Ian Cathy was the education minister back in the day. And I, was, and I was, um, wasn't old enough to actually join the party. You had to be 18, uh, which I did when I turned 18 and uh, then got involved with Young Labor. Uh, won pre-selection uh, for a federal seat down here in Isaacs, ran in the 1993 federal election. Um, and wasn't successful. Uh, went again in 95, uh, didn't win pre-selection, 
um, and then uh, made my way down to uh, the beautiful state of Tasmania, where I went and uh, studied law with yourself mm. and um, left that political journey behind um, and went on another path. Now, how did you enjoy, after you graduate from law, how did you approach the legal profession? What was your plan, therefore, and did it meet your expectations? Oh, great question. Um, my plan was to go into private practice, which I did, uh, to help people. Um, and I was heavily involved in the uh, community legal centre down here on the Frankston Peninsula and um, really enjoyed it. Uh, but I was never going to make any money helping people who had no money. Mm. Uh, and with a young family, you need to be able to pay for things. Um, and private practice I enjoyed, but only to a point. Mm-hmm. Um, the administration around it, the politics around it, the life in legal practice, um, it's not like any of the TV shows. A lot of it is, the bad stuff. Yes. Um, not the good stuff, um, no. So for me, it was about getting out, which I did. Uh, I was married. Um, I resigned one day, came home, said to my wife at the time, Robin, I've just resigned. Her response was, so I won't repeat. Um, what? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, and it just went from there. It's extraordinary. I, we, I remember going to uh, one of my school 20th reunions and I'd worked out that there were 10 uh, students out of 150 that had become lawyers. And yeah. out of the 10, only one of them was still in the profession. They'd all walked away from it at the 20th, which meant that they were only around 38, 39 years of age. That mm. blew my mind to think that this was the case, whereas the 10 that were doctors were all still doctors. What do you think it is about the legal profession that just doesn't meet expectation? Do you think it's the the, the difficulty in being able to craft these great big six-figure incomes, or is it the lack of satisfaction in the system uh, entirely in itself? I think all of the above. I think um, you have to go into it with the right intentions, and I think a lot of people do. It's just like politics. Uh, mm. The overwhelming majority of people get involved in politics, get involved in law, get involved in medicine because they're driven to it, uh, but their expectations aren't really met once they open that door. And so once they actually um, go over that threshold, so to speak, they're in a position where it's just like they're having a look around and say, hang on, this isn't like anything that I really expected it to be. And then they start trying to carve out little niches. Um, and law now, it's become highly specialised. There aren't too many generalists around. Most big law practices, um, if you're a partner, you specialise in one little tiny niche area. And I suppose medicine's like that to an extent, but um, different drivers in the medical world to the legal world. Now, you obviously walk away from the legal profession. How does the PhD fit into your into the into the chronology here of of what you decide to do next? Oh, look, um, I'd finished my masters before I'd come down to um, Tassie to do law, mm. and I uh, did that out at Monash, out at Clayton. And um, the next step for me was to get my doctorate, and so I went down and uh, got my law degree, and then finished that. Uh, got into private practice um, and really sat down and thought, what am I going to do now? Because I want to keep learning. Mm. Um, 
and my masters led into my doctorate. I sat down with a couple of my supervisors out at Monash and had a chat to them, and they said, "Great." So I, I started, um, and the whole doctoral uh, program is completely different now. Back in the day, um, I spent a year working on it, submitting uh, various chapters and the like, and I had to do a submission, and I was out at um, Clayton and um, was up in front of uh, everyone in the uh, department and you had to outline what your thesis was and where it was going. I spent about 40 minutes talking about it and Brian Costa, um, who was the head of the politics department out there, got up and said, John, that was great. Uh, what one of the seven PhD um, areas will you actually write on? And I've gone, what? <laughs> and I thought that I brought it down into an area that was really succinct and tight uh, he just said no, and I just sort of had to sit back and go, wow, I've spent the last 11 months really diving into all of these different areas, mm. um, and my thesis was on the Labor Party, and um, it was a really good exercise in regards of refining your narrative and your argument and what you are actually looking at, um, and having that guidance from uh, the uh, good folks out at Monash was great. So when you compare, therefore, the doctorate that you're now setting yourself to do versus perhaps your master's and your law degree, what was the most challenging or difficult? Um, when I started my doctorate, um, newly married, no children. Um, when I finished, I had two young boys and a killer mortgage. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's just like finding the time to actually do it. Because uh, I did it part time, I was working full time, studying as well, uh, and I was out at the Monash Library, and you know the lights would start to sort of flicker on and off at about five to eleven, quarter to eleven, which was the signal to get out. Um, and sitting there on level one, going through parliamentary Hansard from nineteen hundred and seventeen, you know, isn't most people's idea of a good time. But I <laughs> actually loved it. <laughs> Crazy, oh, there you go. And there it is. So you find obviously purpose, time, and uh, you're driven like uh, that few people that I've met in the academic world to continue doing what you're doing. Now, we're going to talk about uh, your book, Heart Unbound, um, when we come back after the break. We've still got a few minutes before we take that. And I just wanted to talk about uh, perhaps motivation now, because in the book, towards the end, there's a, a small section called About the Author. And in that, um, I might just actually read off it um, a little bit here. And it says, Dr. John's mission is to guide people around the world to connect with their hearts and embark on a transformative journey of healing, learning and growing. A pivotal moment in his life occurred shortly after his 22nd birthday when tragedy struck. His beloved younger brother Daniel was killed by a drunk driver. This devastating loss led Dr. John to shut off his own emotions, inadvertently subjecting himself to many years of merely existing and surviving without truly embracing life. Through his personal journey, Dr. John learned a profound truth that life's richness unfolds Richness unfolds when life is lived from the heart. And he ardently believes in a world where compassion, integrity, respect, and love prevail over fear, negativity, greed, and ego. Um, these are wonderful words that uh, through reflection that we can get to. John, it's it's, it's horrible. Uh, it's it's the worst possible thing to, um, to, to lose a loved one, particularly a, a sibling, certainly one that's younger than you. It, it changed your life forever. And how many? How long did it take you, therefore, to to realise this process? You obviously went through a long a long time. But can you talk a little bit about how you um you were able to heal and and make these profound realisations? Um, I'm a lifelong learner, but I'm very very slow. 
Mm-hmm. And so when it comes, no, I was just being uh, facetious. After Daniel was killed, because he was killed by a drunk driver, and you don't see those things happening. And so when you grow up with someone um, and you go to school together and you travel together and you surf together, uh, we had a very, very close, strong bond. Um, he's there one minute and gone the next, literally. Um, you don't die at 20. Um, so that profoundly changes everything as much as, I mean, I look back now, um, I can see it now, but it took decades because at that very moment, that instant, uh, and you go through the stages of grief, uh, but for me, I pretty much shut my whole heart off and closed it off and shut it down for uh, self-protection. And that's what mm. we all do when we uh, experience extreme trauma. Um, and coming out of that is really hard, really hard. And when you actually keep loading up and adding on pains, hurts, woundings on top of that trauma, um, it just exacerbates and just continues. And there really comes a point uh, where you sit down and say, if I don't do something about this, I'm going to waste and lose this life. And it's something that... um, I had to grapple with for a long time because you convince yourself that you're okay and, you, and you're really not. Well, well, this is it, isn't it? Because surviving is not living, a completely different thing. Oh. And, then, and then somewhere oh. in there is is a term that uh, that some people refer to as survivor guilt. Why was I the one that was the one that lived and why did I, I lose my younger brother or, or, or whoever that loved one may, may be? It's uh, an, an incredibly uh, shocking uh, situation for anyone to go through, and yet it happens all the time. I have talked on, on this show, John, about um, my wife and I losing our firstborn at 31 weeks uh, where we found out that uh, her heart had stopped beating and uh, and try to understand why you would lose a child at 31 weeks. Had we the day before, for example, found out that something may have been wrong, uh, we could have uh, delivered and she would be alive today, but you just don't know these things. And so you go through a, a horrible period of, uh, and, and it's different for everyone, where you are trying to make sense of it all. And, and it's one thing to bury a parent, but it's a very different thing to uh, to, to bury a, a sibling or, or a child. These things are unnatural. Uh, and therefore, that uh, the whole world is turned on its head. But w- what I find interesting, John, is is how you um, have, have gone and and maximised the return for it in, in a way that uh, I, I think I made the the, the separate and, and similar discovery. That I, I boiled it down to this: that um, life is is quite simple when when you look at profound loss. That uh, for mine it was simple. I, I then chose after I was able to to contemplate what had gone on. I simply said to my wife one day, "There's only two things that we need to worry about here: is is is, is in life." We find the joy, and if we can't find that joy, we take the growth, which is the lesson. And that was it from that point. And therefore, we honour those that can't be here with us by living our best life. And once I made that profound breakthrough, that was it. Changed my life forever. Certainly doesn't mean that I want to lose any more loved ones, but it was that resilience that, uh, that therefore, that we would live our best life and the determination, therefore, uh, that that I think for mine is is the big difference. Do you concur with that? That you arrived at something similar, or or was it or was or was it somehow different to that? Oh, look, certainly similar. Um, I know myself. I was not, uh, numb um, for years, mm. uh, emotionally shut off. Uh, not because I wanted to be emotionally shut off, uh, because I'm an empath um, and always have been. Um, but dealing with that and only just turning 22 myself 
And whilst I'd travelled the world and surfed and been to university and everything else, I didn't have the life skills. Mm. Um, and the impact that Daniel's death had on the family was it completely fractured it. Mum pretty much died on the spot. Dad, I would say, disappeared as well. Um, and I had to discover this younger sister that I had, and there were six years between us, and Daniel was always the, the uh, stopgap. So there were six years between myself and Jane, and all of a sudden it was like, who is this person? Because I was already out of the house at 18 and at uni, and Jane was 11 or 12. So it was like reforming a bond and a relationship, and I have to say Jane is my best friend now, which is great. Uh, because we we have that shared lived experience, um, and it's the impact that it has on that family unit, and not really having anyone else to turn to. And it's just like, who do you speak to about it? You've got your friendship group, and they haven't necessarily experienced anything like it. So you can't sit down and have a conversation. And you might be academically smart, but not emotionally mature enough to understand what's going on. And that's part of the journey as well. Um, and making out that everything's okay when you know deep inside that it's not. So uh, when I'm speaking to people on here, I often refer and sort of turn around and say, this is the human avatar, John, that I created to help me survive. Yes. <laughs> and uh, we all have a human avatar. I call them our human avatars because we put mm. them out there, whether yeah. it's social media or, or um, whatever it is. But then there's the real us, the essence of who we are as a human becoming. Um, and it's that journey to find that human becoming because we're all human becomings, not human beings. So mm. it's about knowing that, you know, we have a role to play and that we can make a difference, a, a positive difference. Um, and that's, you know, one of the things that I'm really passionate about. Always been passionate, but it took me a long while to find my passion proper passion amazing now we're going to take a quick break when we come back we're going to get into the detail of this specific book that john chose to write called heart unbound in the meantime if you love a good documentary then you'll love our special screenings uninterrupted cinema features some of the latest or notable documentaries from the world's best filmmakers you can check out tnt's website for more information weekends are better when you spend it with us here on today's news talk tnt TNT's Tyler Nixon. Robert F. Kennedy running. Um, he's, uh, I went and had a chance to see him speak in uh, Philadelphia when he announced his independence from the Democrat crime syndicate. And I honestly had hoped that he would be able to be a force within that party to reform it, to bring sanity back to it, uh, if it ever had it, and to uh, maybe begin to purge the elements of criminality and fraud and deceit and destruction and uh, treason uh, out of that out of that crime syndicate of a party but clearly the institutional forces that have arrayed against uh, anyone who would challenge this uh, this deep state uh, slash criminal syndicate that has taken over our government tyler nixon on today's news talk tnt here's a bushfire fact bushfires can occur without warning so if you're traveling during bushfire season here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. 
How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighbourhood safer place. 3. It's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. If you're talking about it, we're talking about it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour is Dr. John McSwitty, who authored the book Heart Unbound. Not just a book about how to change your life, but an actual deliberate program that anyone can get involved with and change their lives in a positive manner for all time in as little as 28 days. In a moment, I'll get the uh, book put up on screen because you'll be able to order it off Amazon if you like. I got on there earlier, John. It's very, very uh, well priced, under $20 for anyone to get involved. Uh, it's a terrific way to to make it a change in your life and to uh, to get started today or as soon as it arrives, in fact. But we're going to do that right now. We're going to get going and explain what the book's all about. How did you decide that you want to get out of writing books about politics and get into books about helping oneself reach new heights and live their best lives? Uh, it would have been 1999, 2000. Uh, I came across a story that I read online back in the day before um, internet and computers were a major thing, social media and everything else. Uh, and it was a story about uh, a, a jar of marbles, as I'm looking for my jar of marbles here. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a book back then called um, The, looking for it now, I can't find it, uh, The Marble Book of Life. Um, and it was a beautiful book in regards of helping people not just connect with their heart space, but to also understand that we're not here for a long time. And so it was a story about a businessman who um, was in his 60s, got told he didn't have long to live, sat down with his wife and said, look, I've only got this short amount of time left. They went out and he bought X number of marbles and every day they took a marble out to represent a day or the time that he actually had left. And that really struck a nerve with me because I was like, hang on a minute, I don't know when my time's up. And so back then I sat down, wouldn't leave me alone. I wanted to get marbles, but I had the boys and I thought I can't have marbles in the house. I just had this vision of them eating marbles and joking. (laughs) Um, So I just let it sit there. And then one night I sort of woke up. I think it was about 2001. I just had this idea. I have to write a book about it, which I did. Uh, And then promptly did nothing. So this beautiful book that I'd written Uh, which was a guide to help people through um, discovering themselves in the now, to helping them move through uh, with all uh, exercises and tips and hints and everything else. Um, I just let it sit there because I didn't really believe in myself. So that was a major determinant too in regards of sitting down and saying, well, you know, no one's going to want it. No one will want to do it. I had a website made up and all this stuff done and then did nothing. Um, and then about 15 years later, um, wrote that book, The Journey of 100 Hidden Hearts, A Spiritual Path to Your Hidden Heart, which emanated out of the book that I'd written back in 2001. 
um, and Heart Unbound um, is a book that um, I've written after the uh, Journey of 100 Hidden Hearts. Um, Journey of 100 Hidden Hearts is a, a much deeper book. Um, Heart Unbound is for everyone to pick up um, and help them start the journey. Uh, with a, It's a real gentle, compassionate, uh, nurturing, caring book that folks can pick up and help them basically take those first tentative steps on this path. And as I say at the outset and have said for a number of years, the journey into your heart space isn't an easy one. If it was, everyone would be doing it and the world would be a completely different place. And we know that's not the case, unfortunately. Yes, indeed. Now, how do you define, therefore, the heart for people to understand that it's more than just a, a pump uh, pushing blood around your body? And this is the interesting thing. Um, in uh, The Journey of 100 Hidden Hearts, I go into a bit of detail about embraining, um, which is your our multiple brains. And so the neuroscience has been in for the past 20 to 25 years and organisations like HeartMath um, that look at uh, the heart-brain connection. Embraining takes it a step further in regards of saying, well, we actually have more than two brains. We've got three primary brains. Head brain, heart is a brain, and gut is a brain. We also have our ANS, our autonomic nervous system, and our pelvic brain. And they all communicate, and they all have a language, and they all have highest expressions. But there's certain terminology that we get to communicate with our multiple brains. And we use um, our speech, and I go into it, and you mentioned it before, in regards of neurolinguistics. The words that we use reflect the, our particular body parts, our brains that are trying to communicate with us, thinking, feeling, creating. Okay, so all of the time our brains are communicating with us. 24-7, but when um, we're disconnected from a brain, it means we're making decisions, we're moving forward in our lives without major parts of us being involved in those decisions, which are enormous. And for me, it was always about the heart. Uh, the overwhelming majority of people um, go through life listening to their head brain and their gut brain. Okay. Predominantly ego and fear is are the key drivers here. And so 70 to 80% of the population, because of emotional woundings and traumas, have cut this off because they're in full protection mode. And so reconnecting in with the heart space is the first step in the journey in reconnecting our multiple brains to attain wisdom in moving forward in healing, learning, and growing. And that's my mantra, really, healing, learning, and growing. It's so, so important. It's so simple when you understand, but it's not so simple to work it out. And that's what I think is one of the wonderful things that you've been able to do here. And in the program, you refer to the 28 days. And we're going to talk about some of those days because each day is dedicated to effectively understanding a different thing that you might do, a different skill that you might develop. You start off very simply by having on day one, you're talking about breathing, mm -hmm. followed by on day two, gratitude. But then on day three, you have a heading called 
I am. And in that, I'm going to read a little bit from there. We'll talk about it. The power of I am statements lie in their ability to shape your perception of yourself and your reality. By consciously affirming positive qualities and beliefs about yourself, you align with your true essence and gift yourself the possibility of living a heart-led life. I am statements help you cultivate self-love, confidence, resilience, enabling you to navigate challenges with grace and authenticity. They serve as reminders of your inherent worth and potential, empowering you to live in alignment with your values and aspirations. Goodness me, reading that short line there, it seems so obvious, but it's not. Can you tell us a bit more about this approach? Well, the approach of the book was about um, stories of people that I've actually journeyed with, that I've um, had sessions with that I've spent time with. Uh, most of the names have been changed for obvious reasons. Uh, but each of the modalities or days um, are tiny little exercises that or themes that um, we would remember that we can connect with that helps us journey into this heart space. Because there's a reason why um, as, as we go through life, a lot of us tend to basically move towards wanting to be happy and joyful and feeling and we get into that space and then we'll pull back because we've been hurt, we've been traumatised, we've been wounded. So this is a gentle uh, introduction to help people realise that this is a safe space to be because it needs to be safe. And bringing people into the space, starting with your breathing, because it all starts with your breathing, believe it or not, in regards of your autonomic nervous system and your uh, sympathetic and um, parasympathetic nervous system, bring them into balance. So when you're actually breathing, and I take people through what I call balanced heart breathing, six seconds in through your nose, six seconds out through your mouth, but really breathing down deep into your womb space um, and feeling that rise and fall of your uh, tummy. Um, to bring you back into alignment so that when you're doing these exercises every day and you're working through the themes every day and the exercises that are uh, there in the book, um, you're doing it from a state of actually being present and your head isn't running away, your ego is not taking off. Um, you're gifting, and I talk about gifting a lot, you're gifting yourself an opportunity to start to fall back in love with yourself because self-love is so, so important. And I'm not talking about in a narcissistic, vain, conceited way. I'm talking about in a nurturing, caring, empathetic way because our self-talk, um, more often than not, is quite brutal. And I know with mm -hmm. the people that I journey with here and around the world, self-talk is um, really corrosive and really destructive. And so those I am statements that you were talking about on day three, and I've structured it so we start with the breathing, then we start with the gratitude to basically help build this little foundation to move forward so that, one, you gift yourself time to breathe because you have to actually be present to do that. Mm. You know, we don't think about having to take a breath. I don't sit here and you don't sit here and basically say, oh, no, I have to breathe. We just do it. And what I want people to do is to be able to get into that space, but also on day two with the gratitude to realise that what they have in their life is actually really good. And you can always pick out little things in your life. It doesn't have to be massive things and start building from there. 
and being gracious about it. Grace is really important. Gratitude is really important. And then moving through the days, but using your breathing and your gratitude practice as a little bit of a foundation moving forward. And then your I am statements. Now, the number of people that I get to do I am statements that cannot do it because of past traumatic events is substantial. You'd be really surprised um, even looking at yourself in the mirror and saying, I love you. Mm. I respect you. I, I like you. People can't do that. You have to build that in and it takes time because of um, woundings and trauma that's been experienced uh, mostly through childhood, but also in relationships uh, as well. And so they become self-fulfilling prophecies for a lot of people. And so the book is about helping you actually step up and step back and go into yourself, which is really important. And that's where the journey begins. And there's nothing easy about it. I wish it was, but it's not. Uh, but once you make that decision and take those steps, your life really does start to transform. It's quite remarkable. You know what I, I love about this approach, John, is that uh, most of us are guilty of complaining about our lives because in a way we're stuck in a comfort zone and we realise and we've been taught for many years that the only way we can achieve growth is to step outside the comfort zone. Now, whilst you've said that it's quite difficult, the approach, and because we all come with our own baggage, the process of making this gentle, uh, leading us through 28 days in this approach by starting with something as simple as breathing means that when you've completed that a relatively simple task because it's guided, that you come back with a lot more confidence on day two where you simply guide people through the process of gratitude. The gratitude may, may be nothing more than saying, I found the book and I'm on a journey now and I feel really good about myself by trusting and believing that I can do something better than where I was perhaps even just a week ago. And so this idea of escaping the comfort zone that uh, many of us wish to stay in because things are too difficult, you've made it as easy as possible, despite the fact that any new learning always comes with its challenges. I think this is a remarkable difference in, in, in many self-help books that present information to you as a guide that you kind of got to jump into this big pool of, of hope and knowledge and understanding and learning and information, but it sometimes just washes over you and you don't quite get it. But here, it's deliberate. It seems to be self-paced. Obviously, you might take two days worth of breathing before you get into it, but this is the point. Do you feel like that there is a difference in what you've done to anything else you've read absolutely there's um there's nothing comfortable about being in the uh, comfort zone yes good call there's just not so it's a misnomer to sit down and you know and i understand what you're saying and the, the thing is for a lot of people um it's the hamster wheel it's the comfort zone but they're not comfortable there's a disconnect and so they know that they want to be doing whatever it is that it is for them and that's what this path and this journey of discovery is so it's a you know we don't feel comfortable and it's okay to feel uncomfortable if you're the one that's torturing yourself admit it once you admit it once you actually sort of you know say this is my human avatar <laughs> sort of, you know who i've created yeah. um, but this is who i feel and that's where that neuro-linguistic language comes in i think and i feel Feel is a heart-based word. Think is a head-based word, head-brain word. Mm. Okay, so when you say, I feel, it has a much deeper resonance to it, whereas I think your the highest expression of your head-brain is to be creative. Great. But what are you feeling? So you're doing everything in your power to make sure you don't feel. 
So you're in this comfort zone and you convince yourself that you're comfortable. However, you feel and you know that you're not. Mm. And so that's why getting into this heart space is so important because it's the epicenter of your feelings and emotions. And so Gosh, sorry, sorry to cut you off there. Just it just right. makes so much sense and, and so simple when you realize what we're talking about. Now we'll take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to talk about a few more of the some of the days that I just have picked out uh, out of interest because I was looking for more information. And we will go back to this understanding of neurolinguistics. But would you believe on one of the days? It's just about nothingness. And we're going to talk to Dr. John about what that means after the break, which we'll take right now on weekends. You're watching and listening to TNT. Give me a minute with TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. Last November, you may remember that uh, U.S. women's soccer star Megan Rapinoe was playing in her last game ever. And just a few minutes into the game, she went down with a non-contact injury. After the game, she claimed that her injury was proof that there is no God. I'm not a religious person or anything, and if there was a God, like, this is proof that there isn't. This is f***ed up. Um, so, yeah, it just, it's just f***ed up because... Appearing last week on a podcast called Pablo Torre Finds Out, she mocked Christians who didn't get the joke that she was telling. Somebody needs to check on the Christians. They're not okay. They also <laughs> missed the whole joke, but well, okay. That's the thing is that... I'm like, you guys missed it? Don't act like, A, you're surprised by me like making this joke about right. what happened or, you know, finding a dig. I'm like, yeah, I want to find a funny, like, dig. I don't know. Yes. Is it, who's it at? God, myself, wait, religion, wait, the world? I don't know. I'm the like, dig was funny. at yourself, too, because <laughs> yeah. it was. I don't think people appreciated this because everyone was deeply triggered. Um <laughs> religiously and otherwise. I say goodbye and good riddance to the woman who for years mocked our national anthem and now has mocked God. Thanks for giving me a minute. I'm Steve Malsberg. Catch my show Monday through Friday, 9 p.m. Eastern time right here on TNT. Our beautiful world is changing, withering, dying by the hands of those who don't value nature, even though we all depend on it for life itself. But there is hope. Together with caring friends, the Nature Conservancy can restore our lands, heal our waters, and save our wildlife with big solutions only nature can provide. But every day we lose more of the places we love, and we urgently need to save endangered lands, waters, and wild species. The actions we take today will determine the tomorrow we leave to our children and grandchildren. The water they drink, the air they breathe, the beauty they experience. To learn more about how you can help protect and conserve our beautiful world, visit nature.org today. Weekends with Jason Olborn on today's News Talk, TNT.
Welcome back to Weekends. My guest this hour is Dr. John McSwinney and his brand new book called Heart Unbound. We'll put it up on the screen for you in a moment and you'll be able to see that, yeah, there it goes. And you will be able to find that on Amazon. It's under $20 and it will give you a brand new program. It's a great read, Heart Unbound by Dr. John McSwinney right there. You saw it and uh, we'll probably bring that up again before we get out of the hour so that you can uh, note that and, and get on with uh, picking up a copy if you'd like to. Now, the world is a very, very challenging place as we've never really seen before, whether it be yeah. whether you're watching global news, whether you're watching your bank account, your interest rates on your mortgage going up, just seems that there are more and more challenges. So the only thing that we can really do about it are the things that we control, and that comes back to being the best person that you can be. John, what happens when you start to love yourself again? Is it enough to change your life? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, when you start to gift yourself, and I say that all the time, you gift yourself because you're worthy of actually receiving gifts. A lot of people don't even feel worthy to receive that, let alone gift it and gift it to themselves. And so when you actually step into the space and look at yourself for those I am in the mirror even and just basically saying, I love you, I respect you, um, today is going to be a great day. And I know we had a chat about gratitude before even if you feel like you don't have a lot to talk about that might be positive, the fact that you've woken up is a blessing. Mm. The fact that you've got that day in front of you is a blessing. Mm. And so when you start to um, love yourself, your world starts to change. And what I mean by that is that uh, what you may have perceived to have been important doesn't have that same resonance or cachet attached to it that you thought that it did. You can only drive so many cars. You can only live in so many houses. You can only wear so many watches, <laughs> wear so many shirts, whatever it might be. And so your perception starts to change when you start to change about how you feel about yourself, not think about yourself. Thinking is a part of it. Feeling is even more important because then you start to go on that healing journey, that healing, uh, that um you need to undertake and we all do and it's a lifelong journey it doesn't just um, happen once and that's it it's for the rest of your natural life yes indeed now um we mentioned before the break we talked a little bit about neurolinguistics i just want to go back to it again i'm just going to quote from the book neurolinguistics is of great importance in living a heart-led life as it bridges the connection between your language thoughts and emotions by understanding how your neurology and linguistic patterns shape your perceptions and behaviors you can cultivate greater self-awareness and emotional intelligence can you explain that um from our multiple brains and the words that we choose to use and so if our head brain is in uh, charge we're saying that we think a lot and if you actually sit down if you're watching a tv show if you're watching us, listening to us, um, what body part are we using to describe a particular word or situation or phrase? So uh, what symbolism are we using as well in our speech patterns? How are we writing? What words are we choosing to write? And so what is um, prevalent in all of those um, times that we sit down to have a conversation? Then we've already touched on it in regards of before I was talking about thinking and feeling I think I want to do this I think this whatever it is but I feel so thinking and feeling 
are the main ones that I get people to look at in regards of when they're trying to express themselves. It's really important. It, it makes a whole lot of sense, doesn't it? The, the complete separation there between what you've described as the two brains. Now, further down the track on day 19, as it happens, you talk about sunrise and sunset. What do you mean? Okay, sunrise and sunset. This is about helping people understand that connecting with the natural environment is so important, okay, and gifting yourself an opportunity to get up early um, and watch a sunrise, okay, to be actually present outside, whether it's raining, snowing, and I also say in the book, and as I say to folks, make sure that you're safe. If there's a bushfire outside or a, a blizzard or whatever, don't go out there. Um, gift yourself an opportunity to go out and experience it, okay? And do it on the same day because you're worthy of that and start to build these habits so that you're watching the sun rise, this supernatural event that happens every day and there's no guarantee that we get to see the next one. So make the most of this one and the same with the sunset. Now, where I live, um, I've, I've got the ocean right in front of me here um, and the sun sets right down, and there are some magnificent sunsets, and they are absolutely glorious to view from the water. But it doesn't matter where you are, you gift yourself an opportunity to be present in the moment with gratitude, giving thanks for everything that you've had through the day, and the same with the sunrise. So you're using the exercises in the book to stand there as it's dark and as the sun starts to come up, who you are, what are you about, what are you thankful for, what is your day going to be like moving forward, okay? And then you're ending it on that same day. But you're also ticking it off as an achievement. As little as it might be, you can say to yourself, I actually did that for me. I'm actually worthy of that. Now, it mightn't be your favourite thing of the 28 days, and that's fine because there's a lot in there to have a bit of fun about. Uh, the sunrise and the sunset is about getting you out of these four walls outside, mm. uh, which is really important as well. Now, people might take on the program and somewhere in the 28-day cycle, they suffer a setback. Goodness me, who knows what it could be, a speeding ticket, uh, uh, some bad news about some someone's health in the family, uh, the loss of a job, for example. What do you advise to people in that process? Do they continue? Do they pause? What should they, what should they be able to do? Um, it depends on what it is. Um, there are people that are doing the program. Um, they'll get to a particular day. Um, they don't want to do it. And I say to folks, if, if there's a reason why you're unable to do something, why you're not gifting yourself an opportunity to step into the space, what's stopping you, what's blocking you, what's restraining you, what's constraining you from actually doing that? Why can't you dance today? Because dance is one of the things that are in there, one of the days. Yes. So what's stopping you from dancing? And I say to folks, it, it might be a little breadcrumb because I talk about breadcrumbs. So you're looking for the breadcrumbs. So you look at it and say, okay, today's about dance. No, I'm not doing that. Great. Why not? I'm not fussed that you didn't dance. I want to know why you didn't. So what is it that stopped you from doing it? So... There's a beautiful opportunity, a beautiful breadcrumb, or in some instances, a, a whole bakery 
where you need to go back and actually sit down and say, right, what happened when that I do not want to engage in this exercise, that I do not want to dance? What's actually happened? What's the emotional wounding or trauma around that? Why am I basically looking the other way and not wanting to have anything to do with it? Um, and so there are they're the opportunities, irrespective of if it's dancing or uh, sunrise, sunset, it doesn't really matter what it is. If you're unable to do something, why are you choosing not to do it? Because it's a choice, just as you're choosing to do busy, just as you're choosing to do procrastinate. You're choosing not to do one of the 28 days. And I've had a number of people going through the program um, who are really gung-ho and excited at the start, and then they drop right off because it's getting really deep really quickly because it, it forces you to actually be accountable and people don't want to be accountable and not through any fault of other than those emotional woundings and traumas that they've experienced that need to heal because that's what's setting them back. That's what's putting them in that comfort zone, which isn't comfortable. It's and extraordinary, John, that we go through this process. What this is, is giving us is a gentle, structural growth program. It's growth that you don't have to suffer from and recover from through the scars of learning, like we both talked about earlier in the show, through profound loss. This is an opportunity for something completely different. Inevitably, yeah. all of us are going to suffer loss. All of us are going to go through uh, enormous pain, more than we think that we can bear, but we survive nonetheless. The program that you're um, putting to have put together is something that gives us the foundation foundations to be able to take that growth and uh, move on to it very, very quickly uh, on our own timetable being the point. Do you think, therefore, that if someone was to go through the 28-day program and then they are to suffer some form of uh, profound loss, that they will be more resilient in the process? Or do you think that they might uh, perhaps uh, struggle at that point and, and feel like that, that, that they don't know how to get out of it? How does this, how does this balance in their, uh, in their own lifestyle? Yeah. First of all, if you go through the full 28 days and you give yourself the opportunity to actually do it, um, you're building up a skill set and a knowledge set and a feeling set and an understanding set in regards of how you can cope with trauma, with pain, with woundings, because you're already starting to heal yourself. So if there's an event that happens to you uh, that comes in over the top out of nowhere, um, your resilience will be built because you're starting to love yourself a lot more. And depending on what the actual trauma is, it's okay to grieve. It's okay to feel trauma. It's not okay to be trapped in it for all of your life. And so knowing that you're actually in that space, that it's okay to reach out and speak with professionals as well that can help you on that journey to help you uncover things, can help you heal, learn and grow. There's no one size fits all model here. And so, you know, the approach is to, one, realise that you're actually worthy. You're actually worthy of not just living your best life, but actually knowing that you're lovable, you know, knowing that you can gift love, you can receive love, that you are enough and you always have been enough. But that has to be rebuilt for a lot of people. And so the book provides an opportunity for folks to actually re-engage in a gentle, safe space to do that. 
And so they build their resilience, they build their fortitude as they work through the program. And if you're doing it with a group, if you're doing it with a partner, uh, or as I call them, heartbeat buddies, uh, your heartbeat buddies there, and they've got your back. They're there saying, John, it's okay. Jason, it's okay. You know, and as I've said to people when they finish the 28 days, you might want to go back and those 28 days can now become 28 weeks. So you can go back to the breathing and spend a week doing the breathing because there are other exercises within each of those days, five, six, seven exercises that you can do every day to help um, consolidate the learnings in that space. Now, if you spend a week on your I am statements, really powerful rather than just a day, okay? So it's about you need to be able to gift yourself 15 to 20 minutes a day. And the amount of people that are unable to gift themselves 15 to 20 minutes just for themselves shows um, me and I let them know that they need to give themselves an hour, <laughs> not just 15 or 20 minutes. Yes. Okay. Because uh, it's really, really important. If you can't find 15 minutes in a day for yourself, you know that something isn't right somewhere. And so being able to actually address that and being honest with yourself, being authentic with yourself because you're worthy of that, okay? And so it's not about lying. It's just about protecting yourself. You're in survival mode for good reason, mind you. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with being in survival mode, but you don't want to be in survival mode for 80 years. Well, this is it. There's there's a lot more uh, to life than survival, and there's the idea of being able to rediscover joy. We might see if we can put the book up there on the screen again for you. It's called Heart Unbound, and you will be able to purchase it on Amazon. You can see it there on the screen right now by Dr. John McSwinney, right there on the screen, the 28-day program that will change your life because you will learn to love yourself again. What I love about it, John, is that regardless of anyone's politics, whether they're on one side of the spectrum or the other, you can only be the best person that you can be and not have to be dependent on anyone or anything, but always working back to um, be able to honour one's own self and get the growth that you do. I think that's a, a very, very important lesson for all of us. And uh, the other thing before we go, I've only got about two minutes left, John, is uh, you've brought up the idea of laughter and spontaneity. And whenever I see a photograph of you, you've always got a beaming smile like Luna Park. And uh, it's one of those things. What do you love the most about laughter, about creating laughs, for example? Is it is it watching a comedy show or is it just being spontaneous and silly? Oh, all of the above. Um, you know, do things that make your heart smile. And that's mm. why sunrises, sunsets, for me, it's the ocean, being involved in community, um, doing things that I love, spending time with the family. Um, it gifts you joy. And there's a difference, big difference between happiness and joy. And so happiness is fleeting. Joy is sustainable. It's there. It it. Uh, provides a foundation for living your life. So happiness can come and go really quickly and you can smile and you can laugh, but then it'll subside. Whereas that joy that you build up, it's there, it's permanent. It becomes a part of you. And that's reflected um, in how you act, how you behave, how you talk, how you appear. Um, and that's why I want people uh, to be in this space because it's infectious um, and it's about leaving a legacy. So I want to be able to leave this world in a better place than what I found it, and not just for my children, but for future, future generations. 
for me, it's really, really important, and I'm passionate about that too. Oh, look, it's a great delight, John. Uh, we unbelievably were already at the end of the hour and uh, knowing you as I have for, goodness me, more than half my life, it's quite incredible to see where we uh, we both end up in all of this, being able to provide a, a legacy, as you said, doing something wonderful and leaving the world a better place than we found it. John McSwinney, there's no one quite like you in the ability and determination to be able to do that and provide for community as you always have. It's been a privilege to be able to talk to you today and Heart Unbound is the name of Dr. John McSwinney's book. And I encourage you to get pick it up on Amazon. Go have a look if you like and decide for yourself if this is the time that you wanna change the world that you live in for the better as well. We're gonna take a break with you and be back with a new guest, Billy Tikahika, after the break. Thanks for watching Weekends. I'll be back with more after the news.